And um, I'm just going to, can I remove this remote? Because I think I'm just going to, when you're losing the remote, this is where I put it right here, okay? I might be terrible at giving directions, but here it is right here too. All right. Um, So there were some moments last week um, that I sensed what I was going to share with you today. I was like, I think this is from the Lord. And then I was talking to Pastor Stephen this week. I was like, this is from the Lord. And then I'm listening to you this morning going, this is really from the Lord, right? And in some ways, as a pastor, self-confession, you're like, I can mess this thing up. I mean, I know it's from the Lord, but, you know, not every sermon is exciting to listen to. Let's be real, right? Let's be honest. But, but when the Word of God speaks, the Word of God speaks. And he's already spoken to me this week, and it was so fitting and so timely. I just can't wait to tell you the story of what the Lord said to me this week, right? You ever talking to someone, they're like, are you going to talk about telling me this story? Or are you actually going to tell me the story, right? Not right now, in just a few moments. But I want to say just a couple of things and just introduce myself a little bit further too. Um, again, my name is Jason, and my wife is Rachel. We have two boys, 10 and 12 years old. Uh, they are attending Encounter Church this morning. One of the reasons they're not here is because we're trying to maximize the time seeing friends and uh, our church family as much as possible because we are in transition. Uh, we're moving, and I'm a southern boy. I can turn on my accent and eat some biscuits and gravy. Um, that's a thing down south, right, okay? Biscuits and gravy. Um, but we moved here in 2014, and never did I thought, you know, moving and living in Massachusetts, that I would ever say, I'm moving north, okay? But the reality is, I'm moving north again to Vermont. And someone this morning said, you realize it's colder there? I'm like, yep, I do. I look at the Weather Channel app about every day, and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's 10 degrees out, and it's negative 10 there. What's the difference? It's much bigger than 20, kind of, right? Right? The 20 degrees, it's much bigger than 20. And so we're moving to Vermont. We'll tell you a little bit about the backstory. My family and I moved here in 2014 uh, to be a part and to start a new work um, of Encounter Church. And this ministry was such a gift and an answer to prayer. And Pastor Stephen, Sonia, you, your family, your ministry was such a blessing to us. Because in 2012, when we began to sense God's movement in us to start a new congregation where there was a need, there was a lot of relationship and a lot of connection, many God stories I'll just kind of skip over. But we knew moving into a new community, one thing that I get to, to teach and, and talk about to a lot of uh, future churches and pastors now and the training that I get to do is that you're always looking for where God's moving. And you just want to be a part of that, right? And this mentality of doing a new work in some way is broken because we're not starting God's work, right? We're just joining it. And so, yeah, I, I hear some young church planters. They're like, we're going we're gonna to move to Ontario, and it's, you know, one of the most lost cities in the world, which is true, like, you know, when you think about some sections of Canada, right, and think sections of the Northeast and the Northwest, right? We're going to move to um, Alberta. We're going to move to Calgary. We're going to move to, and we're going we're gonna to reach people there, which is great. And you have this sense that, you're like, do you think that you're going to begin God's work, Right? We're just joining it. And so we knew when moving here in 2014, we were praying for where God was moving and asking how we could be a part. And one of the first people that I met was your pastor. And sitting down with him and just listening, I'm like, okay, this is where God's working. And he told me part of his story and part of the challenge of his ministry. Every, every ministry, right? Every ministry is a blessing and every ministry is a challenge. And I was like, Stephen, we just want to be a part of what God's doing here. And he basically said, my house is your house because it's God's house. 
And so the first meeting that Encounter Church ever had in Massachusetts was right here in this room. Right here in this room. And you're a part of advancing God's mission because of the leadership of your ministry and the leadership of Pastor Stephen. And so thank you will never be enough, but, but thank you. But thank you. Uh, Encounter Church, yes, thank you. All right, come on, that's weak. This isn't a golf tournament, right? Just give the Lord the glory, right? <clears throat> I'm, I'm one of those guys at the end of a song, I'm like, can I clap? Can I clap? Is it weird to be in church and be like, oh, can I clap? Are they going to think I'm weird, you know? Thank you for starting that strong. That was a strong clap. I'm, I'm complimenting that clap there, right? Um, no golf tournament, right? For the glory of the Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you. So we met downstairs for six months as we were dreaming and planning what God would have Encounter Church do. And then, of course, we moved to the middle school and then uh, kindly had a middle school breakup. Anybody? Middle school breakup? It's been a long time. It was like, hey, we like you, but you need to find a new place, right? We still like you. We, 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 we want to be friends, but this ain't going to work anymore. And uh, that was a whole different story, but we found a, a church home, and uh, that's in Westwood, just across, the, uh, just across Route 128. And so Encounter Church is healthy and strong, and Fellowship Church, you, you were a part of making that happen. Because of open hands. And let me tell you, that's not always the case, right? There's a lot of territorialism, right, in every aspect of life. And church is no different because we're sinners, right? We're like, listen, this is my community. Don't steal my people. There was none of that. Absolutely none of that, right, in the heart of, of your pastor. And so we're grateful, healthy, and strong. About a year ago, uh, the network that I am a part of, the denomination that I'm a part of, said, listen, you've been a part of leading church planting in the greater Boston area, and we'd like to extend an invitation for you to lead the network in New England. And so I said yes to a role in the middle of, um, actually towards the beginning of 2021, to lead the network in New England. And so I'm the church planting leader and director for the six New England states. Um, and in the midst of that, we began to pray, especially when my direct report with the now with the denomination, uh, the president said, where do you want to live? Well, that's a fun question. A lot of people have been asking that question with digital and remote work. And that, I, I gave that question to the Lord. I was like, Lord, I, I, I want to live in Aruba, but that's a different thing. Um, you know that. I like it 88 degrees year-round. Someone's like, do you like winter? Yeah, once, maybe, <laughs> when we go tubing. And then I can't get my hands. I like to run. Like, and I, I do triathlons. And I, like, and I don't like to run and not fill my hands, you know. And so I want to live in Aruba. But, Lord, I take this question to you. And uh, amazing story. But um, a 15,000-square-foot building was given to our network. And said, listen, lead what you're doing with starting new churches throughout New England. It's, it's your networks, and so come. And so the guy that it was given to through a local church called me, and he's actually on my staff, and said, Jason, you lead this network from your eight and a half by 11 office in Dedham, right? Why don't you make this the home for the network? And we can do training. And so amazing opportunity. And I said, yes. And so I'm moving north a second time. Lord forbid, Lord might ask me to move to Canada, but there's only one state above Vermont, right? <laughs> You just drive north and you hit Burlington, Vermont, and then you're in Canada. So I don't think I'll say moving uh, north again, but you never know. So our family is in transition and moving. Our home's going on the market. This isn't a real estate pitch, but if you're looking for a home in Dedham, um, it's going to uh, go on the market soon. And so now we, we're looking forward and very excited about what's next. I still get to serve Massachusetts and the rest of New England through church planting um, and everything I can to serve pastors. That's a joy. It's a joy. Tuesday morning I woke up, and I believe it was Tuesday afternoon or maybe Wednesday morning, Pastor Stephen and I had a uh, planned conversation about today. 
And I did not know um, what he was going into this week. I did not know the context. He and I speak from time to time and always have a, a, a great conversation. It's always encouraging. always love connecting with him. And so I, I did not know. So Tuesday morning, I'm just giving you this disclaimer. My time with the Lord, I've been working through the, uh, the book of Matthew. And one of those moments, uh, I've been in it for like a long time. I just can't, I, I know the other 60, you know, five books in the Bible, Lord, I just keep going to Matthew every morning. It's been that way for about a year, right? And the Lord has been really speaking to me, encouraging me. And so on Tuesday morning, before my conversation, I started in Matthew 14. I've read it like every day for a couple of weeks. And this is amazing. You know those moments when you're like either at church or someone sends you a link to a sermon or like maybe you're listening to a podcast. You're like, oh my gosh, the Lord is speaking to me. Like you can't make up the stories of the timing of God. You just can't. Like someone called me this morning. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I needed to hear. It's just crazy. And somebody like hands me a book. Have you read this book? No, I've thought about reading that book for five or six years. And you start reading it and you're like, oh my goodness, right? How the Lord is utilizing this word in me. So Tuesday morning I woke up and I read these two verses. I'm going to read them to you. I'm like, that's not a sermon. There's not a sermon in these two verses. But I stopped. I just want to read you these verses. Matthew 14, verses 13 and 14. So it's Matthew 14, verses 13 and 14. This is what I read. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. In that moment, I just stopped. I'm like, that was a lot. In some ways, when I'm reading the Bible, I'm like, that's not really meaningful. It's not something that you're, that you're I don't know, that would be in a, in a picture frame at like your, your grandma's house. Or that's not something you would stand up on a Sunday morning and you'd give testimony to. That's just, but I stopped. I'm like, okay, verse 13, now when Jesus heard this. So Jesus was listening to what was happening around him. What did he do? He withdrew. I'm like, well, that's kind of common, right? But when I read this, I'm like, it hit me in a new, fresh way. As a pastor of the last 25 years, I've been understanding this and learning this and teaching this, but it was a new, fresh way. And pastors need fresh word, okay? Pastors need a fresh word. And it's super dangerous when pastors don't have a fresh word. Can I state the obvious? Because they can't give a fresh word. That's what scares me about being a pastor. When a pastor says, and I talk to them every single week of people that want to throw in the towel in ministry, there's nothing fresh. So I'm like, God, when I wake up in the, in the morning, I don't want to plan sermons. I just want to hear from you. And so this came to me from the Lord before I talked to your pastor. I've said that three times now on purpose. I'm going to keep saying it. And I'm like, Lord, if we, this is what you did time and time again, you withdrew. And you know, when Jesus withdrew, you know, it frustrated people. Like, where did he go again? We don't see this in the scripture, but I don't know if you've seen um, the recent series. Yes, the chosen. I couldn't think of, I was going blank. And I was like, oh, whenever Jesus, like, withdraw and, like, Peter would get, like, ticked off again, like, ah, where'd he go? Because Peter's a control guy, like a guy named Jason that's talking to you right now, right? Peter's like, oh, where'd he go? Man, we can't ask him questions. We can't, you know, of course, with technology today, we get frustrated. I'm trying to teach my 12-year-old boy this. He'll text a friend, and he'll hold his phone and just stare at it. And, but I'm, and I'm trying to, like, coach him through. You don't have to have an immediate response. But guess what? I'm the same way. You text someone and you're like, I wonder if they're upset. A guy texted me this morning, I'm, I got I to call him. I got to call him on the way to church, right? We're just this immediate, immediate response. Well, Jesus withdrawing could have captured some, some emotion and attention. Number one, where did, what's he doing? 
Number two, this is, more, uh, this is not as relevant. Uh, uh, where is he going? Right? What's he doing? Where's he going? And then third and most importantly, why is he doing that? Right? When Jesus heard this, he withdrew. So time and time again, he withdrew. And so my mind in verse 13 this week, I was like, when he heard this. You know what this was? This begs a question. Well, what was he listening to? Was it a story? Was it a parable? Was it someone that needed healing? Was it, was it chaos? What was it? And so when I, in this mor- in Tuesday morning, I, I, I said, well, what happened? Now I looked up to Matthew 14, and this was recorded. And so much of the scripture and transition, there could have been days between. There could be weeks between. It's not necessarily chronological, so you've got to kind of put your like, historical thinking cap on, like what's happening here. Understanding biblical context is, can be hard at times. Other times it's pretty straightforward. Let me just tell you, today, this is pretty straightforward. When Jesus heard this, what was he listening to? And look up in your, and if you have your Bible, look up, right? Just, just before this. If you don't, I'll tell you what happened. John the Baptist was beheaded. Now, to give you a little background, anybody like drama? Can, can, can anyone confess? Who likes drama? There are some humans that actually like drama. <laughs> I like having a good... Oh, look at one, one person. Raise their hand. Come on. Come on. Raise your hand if you like drama. You like people drama. All right. About a third of the room. Okay. Some people just like drama. You're like, oh, that's a good story. That's some, give me some scoop. I got a buddy of mine. He'll call me. Give me some scoop, man. He just wants a story to tell. I got to be real careful what I tell my friend, too, because whatever I tell him, He's going to tell other people. Like, so there's some drama going on here in John the Baptist. So when Jesus heard what had happened, okay, let me just tell you what happened. John the Baptist was an incredible tool to really shake up the world at the time. When Jesus would heal somebody and escape for a few days, he'd give a sermon to a crowd and escape for a few weeks. When you chronologically show the stories that we have from Jesus in three public years of ministry, we pretty much have a story, this is rough, rough, about once every three to four weeks. You're like, shouldn't we have what Jesus did every day? Nope. Once every three to four weeks, Jesus pops on the scene, and then he hides out. That's pretty crazy, right? Like, I've been in ministry like eight times longer than Jesus' public ministry. That's pretty crazy, which isn't that long, right? There there are people that have been in ministry, right, 10 times longer, 12 times, 15. Three years of public ministry, Jesus pops in. Why did he do that? He was controversial, right, on the human side of things. He was controversial, and things. he was shaking up the known world. Well, John the Baptist, there's a first century historian that says this guy was preaching every day, right? I mean, every day he's just boom, 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 boom. Boom. And he wasn't the popular preacher, okay? First of all, he was one of the first that we would know as a preacher, right? One of the first. There were prophets that were proclaiming the way, and they were somewhat well-respected in certain towns and other areas. They were like, whatever, that guy's crazy. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He's talking about things in the future. We do that now when someone starts prophesying about the future. We're like, that's a weirdo. There's plenty of weirdos in the Scripture to their culture. John the Baptist was one of them, right? But the, but, but, but the reality is the guy that he was preaching about was sometimes down the street. The guy that he was preaching about was in the next town over. And it's not like he's coming, it's like he's here. And John the Baptist had a knack for calling people out. And sometimes we 
I don't know about you. Sometimes we like preachers that kind of step on your toes, or kind of proclaiming the truth, right? Telling us, according to the scripture, how we should live, how we shouldn't live. Well, John the Baptist was constantly calling people out, but also he was doing everything he could to announce to the world that the Messiah was here. He was living. He's walking. He's breathing. And in the midst of that, one of the most powerful Men in the, in, in the world where Jesus ministered, the, 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 the ruler at the time, when you look at the scripture, there's um, um, Herod, right? And when Herod Antipas was the ruler of the known world at the time, there was some drama going on. Imagine that, drama in government leadership. Just imagine for a moment, right? Drama in government leadership. Well, because of some situations and family brokenness and relational brokenness and divorce, he married who? sister-in-law, right? What does John do in the midst of proclaiming that Jesus was here? John the Baptist calls him out, right? And we know that from, from a part of the scripture. John the Baptist calls him out, and through a celebration, there was a loophole. We know from history, by the way, outside of the scripture, first century historians really record, and this, that he was super afraid to do anything to John the Baptist because he knew how influential Herod was. Herod didn't want to touch at moments, didn't want to touch Jesus, didn't want to touch John the Baptist, because all these people liked him, right? Same for, for a government leader today, saying, man, we need to be careful how we treat so-and-so, because the majority of people like them, right? Jesus was doing great things, and if he was, we're going to stay away from that. John the Baptist was proclaiming truth and hope and life to the world, but yet he, he took a little turn. He called out a government leader. Fast forward a few weeks he loses his head, right? I don't want to spend too much time on that story. Like, he loses his head. He's beheaded. And in the midst of chaos, what did Jesus do? So, verse 13 of chapter 14. When Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place. Now, the thing that I thought of this, this week was, oh my gosh, and I wrote this down. In the midst of chaos, what did Jesus choose to do? Now, there are moments, speaking of chaos, that's the sound that we hear, right? right? Um, by the way, was that strange to anyone else? Turns on, goes back off, like, is everything okay? Is everything not okay? Maybe we should check. Maybe we shouldn't. All right, back to the sermon. In the midst of chaos, like, what did Jesus do? What did he do? In some ways, you're like, ah, oh, he answered people's questions, right? Oh, he healed. He responded, right? Sometimes he pushed and sometimes he rebuked. But in, the, in so many moments throughout the scripture, we see Jesus, the Messiah, the son of the living God. He chose to stay silent at times. Other times he, he chose to, in this situation, he chose to, with, to withdraw himself and go to a desolate place. It utterly blew my mind. I'm like, this is chaotic, right? One of the most influential, loud preachers, right, at the time. There, were only, there was only a few of them. There's 400 years, we believe, right at 400 years, between the Old Testament scriptures and the New Testament. There's a gap of time preceding that. You have a long list of prophets, a long list of people that were holding a microphone, so to speak, speaking on God's behalf. And then you have John the Baptist step into the picture, and then they remove his head. And what does Jesus know is coming for him? His own life. So in the midst of chaos, what I wrote down, what do I do? I can tell you what Jason does, and I want you to answer this question for yourself. In some ways, I wish we were like in a Bible study. 
so we can like get around the table and talk about this. I'd, I'd like to actually hear from you, right? We won't do that right now. But like, answer that question. Like, what do you do in the midst of chaos? And you're like, ah, oh, it kind of depends. You talking about work chaos? Yes. We talking about chaos with family, parents, marriage, children? Yes. How about news chaos? When you read the news, like, what do you do? How do you respond? when the inside of you is going nuts? How do you respond when everything around you, so either internal or external, how do you respond when there's chaos? I wrote down this, and I hate writing this down and confessing, but this is what I do. I get angry. It just frustrates me. I carry my anger pretty well, and uh, people that are closest to me would say, really? I would say, yeah, really. It's just this internal anger. Not confusion, because I make sense of it in my own mind, right? I have the answers in my own mind. And I have these, I'm not as slow. People say, well, let me process this. I'm like, what is there to process? I don't process it. That's part of my problem. Like, I think quickly, and I react quickly, and I get angry. That's my emotional response and my internal response, right? The second thing I do is I go into fix-it mode. I have the answers. I make that phone call. I did it on the way here, right? On the way here this morning. I get a text. I'm like, no. You know, hey, I don't want to fix it, and I want to control it. So the three things that were Jason lies, here's what I do when there's chaos, internal or external. I get angry. I go into fix-it mode, right? And I want to control it, right? If there's a decision that's made around me, either with my team or my staff or the folks that I work with or my family, my children, I want to fix it. I want to control it. I want to make sure you do exactly what I want you to do, Right? What does the world do? What does the world do? This is, general, this is more general, right? This is you specifically. But then what does the world do? What does the world do when there's chaos? Now, there's always been chaos. And so in some ways, I'm asking you a historical question. Like, what are you seeing around you? And there's the two things I wrote down. We complain and we blame shift. That's what our response is to chaos, right? In general, I think those are safe answers, right? Now, it looks different. It sounds different. I asked earlier, does anyone else like drama? I hate it. I refuse to watch reality TV anymore because I got enough of it, right? Nothing wrong. I'm not making a spiritual statement over reality TV, but I'm I'm watching like I've turned on a real estate show once and it was like these brokers and agents arguing back and forth. I'm like, I don't have time to watch your arguments. This is, this is not fun for me. Like I, I have to deal with it myself in life. I, I problem solve all day. By the way, I'm energized by problem solving. I just don't want, that's not entertainment to me. All right. So what, what do we do with it? Right. What do we do with the chaos around us? For the most part, we complain about it. We complain about what's happening in the world. You could, you could go that today with anything, right? Any news article. And then we, we, we blame shift. You just point the finger. Right? And what happens from that chaos? What happens from that chaos is division, is fighting, is discord. I'd like to say, you'd like to say, that you don't find it in the church, but the reality is you do. It's the same thing inside the church. It's how the enemy, right, our enemy, Satan, it's how he longs and desires to bring about disunity and dysfunction inside the family. The family, the nuclear family, husband, wife, children, but also the church, right? Guys, we have something, church, we have something to learn from exactly what Jesus did in this moment. And I just couldn't get beyond when Jesus heard this, he withdrew. When Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there. 
In the midst of chaos, what did Jesus do? In the midst of chaos, he withdrew from the noise and he sought the Father. And I wrote that down this week. I'm like, Lord, I, yes, I have my quiet time in the morning. Uh, I'm not batting a thousand, but I, most days I, I take pause and hit pause and listen and try to worship the Lord and, and listen. But sometimes it stops there. In the midst of chaos, when I get the text message or the phone call or the problem that dumps in my lap, um, and Seth Godin once said leaders solve problems and they generally like to, right? I'm energized by it, but also I take control. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there, there's a part of me that doesn't enjoy it, especially when I remove God from the equation. In the midst of chaos, I don't often go to the Lord. I say, I got your answer, right? In the midst of chaos, I'm like, hey, I hear what you're saying, but let me, teach, let me show you the problem, right? And in the midst of it, I started thinking about all the ways in my life where I get angry and take control. I'm like, whoa, 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 but Jesus, I, well, I can't believe this is what you did. You withdrew and sought the Father. Like in the moment of chaos, I'm like, someone just lost their head. I thought, wasn't there a political response, microphone, in Jesus' face? Jesus, what are you going to say? Jesus, what are you, you going to do? What about when Lazarus died? It's an amazing story when Lazarus died. Jesus didn't go immediately. There was a time there. There's other times when Jesus was asked questions he didn't answer. He withdrew. And so in the midst of chaos, I just want to invite you today to do these two things. And I'm not talking about a time in the morning or in the evening, whenever you read the Bible, spend time with God, though that's part of it. I'm inviting you, the church, to learn from these words. When Jesus heard this, he withdrew. And so fast forward when I talked to Stephen this week. I said, hey, man, I want to be sensitive. And I wrote down this as a potential message and sermon. And I said, I want to be sensitive to what you guys are doing and going through. Is there a passage or a topic that you'd like for me to talk about? And he told me about Romans. He goes, but ultimately, like, is there something that God said to you? And I said, yeah, let me tell you about something this week. And I said, uh, one of the most difficult things in our world today is silence, stillness, and the pursuit of the Father. It is the most challenging thing, I believe, in leadership. I I say in leadership because I constantly work with pastoral leaders. And it's also, I have to model this. I have to do this myself, and it's hard. And I met with a group of 30 leaders this week. I'm like, hey, anyone confess? Like, I'm reading the Bible, and even though I'm reading the Bible in the morning sometimes, all I'm thinking about is my schedule, you know? All I'm thinking about is the phone call. All I'm thinking about, okay, I got 20 minutes before I need to shower. Okay, I got 15 minutes for it. There's just this constant pace, constant running. The most difficult thing is silence and stillness and solitude. It's hard. And if lead, as leaders, if we can't do it, how can we model and teach others to do the same? So I'm telling Stephen this. I said, but the passage is when Jesus heard this, he withdrew. I said, I think it's the, the, the most difficult thing in my life. And it's the most difficult thing in leaders' life. And it's the most difficult thing in today's world because the world is chaotic. Even the way Beth started the service today, right? I can't quote word for word, but you're like, hey, there's a lot of chaos. There's a lot of things going on. Aren't we longing for Jesus, right? His presence and also his return? Of course. There's such chaos around us, and it's not going to change. It's always been that way. It's not like since COVID. It's not like since Russia, right? It's like since Adam, and Eve, chaotic. I, I, I read the first few chapters of Genesis. I'm like, this is messed up, right? In the first part of Matthew 14, I'm like, that's messed up. 
utilizing power for sexual pleasure, utilizing power for manipulation, right? Oh, that's messed up. Like, it's always been chaotic. And it always will be chaotic. And Stephen said, hey, I think it's perfect. Can I tell you what I'm doing next week? (laughs) And I just listened to him. I'm like, wow. I said, man, you're modeling what you need, right? And you're modeling what your people need. And so I spent just the rest of the call. I said, let's just pray. I just want to pray for you that the Lord speak and that the Lord bring you back perfect for Sonia, right? That was so good. That was good. The way you said that, I was like, ah, see. Can't wait to hear how that goes for you. Yeah. <laughs> I, we know when we're bad, and we know when we're doing well, right? And so I said, man, I, I, whatever, and he told me a little bit, you know, the details, and he was really excited about it, and some of the boundaries and the needs in, in his life. And he even shared a little story, too, about saying no. Sonia, when you said, sometimes we're, we're going to say no to things at the church to leave the gap so other people can step up. And part of this prayer, you know, I talked briefly about that. I'm like, yeah, just doing what only you can do to the very, 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 very best and uh, letting everything else uh, aside, laying everything else aside. So the rest of the passage. He withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. Do you ever add commentary to the scripture? Do you think anyone wanted to go with him? Oh, yeah, all the time. I think in this moment, this is just Jason, okay? Maybe the Holy Spirit, maybe not. I think people right there said, Jesus, can I come? And you know what he said? No. I think Jesus, in a way, right here, put his cell phone down, right? I think in a way, he just said, you know what? No technology today. Like, I think... I think this is what he said. Right here, I'm like, oh my gosh. Jesus said, no, I don't have it. It's just Jason, but I'm pretty sure people want to go with him because, like, you healed me. Jesus said no a lot. And Pastor Stephen and I have talked about that this week. I talk with pastors about this all the time. What are you doing that you shouldn't be doing? People always have an answer, right? I think Jesus said no right here, and I, I couldn't get past. Like, he went in a boat to a desolate place by himself, and I guarantee you, he said, no, you can't come. What did he do? In this, like, this, is, this is a huge period between that period and the letter B, at least in my version. The next sentence starts with but. Remember when your English teachers told you you couldn't start a sentence with a transition word? They're not right. Okay, anyways. Um, oh, by the way, there's no punctuation in Greek, so there's a little bit of, uh, I don't know if you know that, no punctuation, okay? Just know that. Um, I'm not ADD. I promise. Back to the scripture. But when the crowds heard it, what do you mean when the crowds heard it? I, I wrestled this week. When the crowds heard what? That Jesus went to a desolate place or that John the Baptist was beheaded? Because people were listening for both. I think the answer is both. The, the, the rumor is pretty clear. Oh, the, the preacher that was talk, talking about Jesus, he just did what just happened? Right? No news, no news flash on a phone, but the word, word travels fast. And so when the crowds heard that John the Baptist was beheaded, and when they heard that Jesus' response was to go take a retreat, are you kidding me? I really felt like, and so I, I, I get angry and I get control and I get them to try to fix it. And I can, do you ever feel like punching somebody? Anybody? No one raised their hands, but like everybody's smiling. Okay, pastors feel like punching people to confession of, okay. I remember hearing a guy complain about his pastor taking vacations. I'm like, bro. You better stand down. Like, are you kidding me? Like, do you think he's here to serve you? Is he your master? Right? People got frustrated when Jesus left. 
And Jesus did it all the time. But he did it because he realized if his cup was empty, he would not be who he needed to be. And he needed the Father. In Jesus' humanity, you're like, ah, well, Jesus was perfectly God, right? And man in in these moments. Yes, he was. But Jesus' humanity was that he cried and that he was tired and that he bled, right? In Jesus' humanity, he needed the Father. How much more do you and I need the Father? And so in the period between himself and the word but, but when the crowds heard it, what did they do? They followed him on foot from the towns, like, whoa, 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 Jesus was in a boat. What do you mean they followed him on foot? They walked through the water? No. They made their way around the body of water, and they were going to go find him. You're like, Jesus, can I get a break here? Why do you think Jesus went to a desolate place? He didn't want people to follow him in these moments. But So what did the people do in the terms of chaos? Now, a lot of times in the Scripture, when you hear a kind of message or a Bible say, like, oh, Jesus did the right thing, and the people did the wrong thing. Nope, not here. Not here. They could have been maybe more respectful, maybe a little bit more patient. I'm sure some of the disciples were like, there he goes again. Off, off doing his thing. We know he's praying, and we should be, but we don't want to pray. We just want to be with him. Can you blame him? I'm sure Jesus was so gracious. I know you want to go with me. Just wait. Like, I'm, I'm going to go do something. But guys, the crowds got it right here. They did. Look at this. When the crowds heard it, they followed him. They're like, Jesus is in the boat. We'll meet you on the other side. I, I think that's all the Bible study I needed this week. It was right here. I've only got through a verse and a half of the two verses, okay? Actually, no. That's just verse 13. They followed him on foot from the towns. Verse 14. And then when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. Now, this is crazy. Did Jesus get to the other side without the people? Verse 14. When he went ashore, he saw what? They beat him there. There's a lot here, isn't there? This is why we study the Bible not quickly but slowly. Like, they beat him to the other side. Jesus went into a boat to go to a desolate place. You know, his desolate place was just being on that boat by himself because he couldn't make it to the other crowd before they said, we need you. They knew nowhere else to go. One of my sons came downstairs, and I was reading this, and I was like, can I tell you a story? This isn't going to make sense, but when I sit in these two verses, like, can I just tell you that the one thing that you need in life when, when things are crazy is Jesus. And if you don't pursue him, you won't find him. That's all I want you to know. In some ways, like, I, I, I control and get angry and get stressed over parenting. In some ways, I'm like, as long as they learn to pursue Jesus, everything else will fall into place. I just, that's what I want. I want them to see that there's nothing in life that brings joy like him. And that there's no one in life that can bring meaning like Jesus. The crowds here did not get it wrong. I'm sure the disciples, Jesus, can we go with you? Do you need some help? I mean, I can kind of row and I'll be quiet. I won't bother you. I just say, you know, like I'll, I'll do the, I'll take care of you. No. Come to the, meet me on the other side. Give me some time. I don't know how long it took him to get to the other side. I do have some calculations because we know how big the body of water was. And we actually know the boats that he was in. Right? But he was by himself. So let me just tell you, unless he was like working the sailboat, it, it wasn't quick. It wasn't several days. He had some, some quiet time. And he got to the other side and he saw the crowd. What did he do? He didn't at this point. He has at other points. Hey, listen, I need, I need some more time. Right? 
He didn't push them away. What did Jesus do? He had compassion on them and he healed them. In the midst of chaos, what did Jesus do? He withdrew and he sought the Father. In the midst of chaos, what did the people do? They sought the Father and they asked for his help. They got it right here. They got it right. And I get it wrong sometimes. I get it wrong a lot. When I'm spending time with God, and all I can think about is my schedule, who I hadn't called back yet, you know? Like, I'm pursuing the Father, but it's the asking for his help. In the midst of chaos, like, I, I beg you, even though you may have tendencies like me of, um, my tendency is not to, to blame shift or point fingers, or I think we see that in the world. My tendency is to control and to fix it. Or to think, if I were the president. My wife literally one day said, and over a year, she goes, do you think, you think God's calling you to be president? I'm like, no. She goes, all right, then, then maybe you shouldn't try to be. You know? <laughs> I just want to, hey, this is what we should do. right here. Here's how we should do it. And can't we get some strong leaders? And I just want to control and fix it. I want to step in there and say, isn't this so obvious to you? Right? In the midst of chaos, what do you do? I can tell you what comes from you is our sin nature. It's not good. And so I ask you, I beg you, please, just verses 13 and 14. These are like two verses that are transitional verses. It's easy to miss because you know what this passage is actually about? The miracle of Jesus feeding 5,000. And what's the passage before? Was John the Baptist being killed. But that transition is powerful. The transition is powerful. In the midst of chaos, withdrawal. I don't know what that withdrawing looks like. That's between you. I, I believe that's between you and the Lord. But withdraw and, and pursue the Father. In the midst of chaos, the pursuit of the Father is just like they did. They were like, fine, Jesus is on the boat. I ain't got no boat. I'm walking. They went to the other side. They kind of probably watched his, his boat. They kind of watched the tailwind. Like, yeah, I bet Jesus is going. <laughs> we're going to meet him over there, and we're going to ask for his help. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may you be able to see this is exactly what we all need, is the pursuit of the Father. Your pastor is modeling that today, uh, this week. You know, may the Lord bless him and keep him and give him 65-degree Kentucky days, right? Or, or 88, excuse me, because that's my preference, right? But may he be filled, right? And may you do the same. Because honestly, the time in the past two years, and I say two years, I'm just using that as a framework of time, past season for you, might be six months, might be six years. There's a lot of cups that are empty. And I spend my time each week convincing pastors to fill them back up and not to quit. Right? I get to do that, and I love, amen. Right? I spend time every week getting to do that. But guess what? You're the same. We're all the same. You want to quit. You want to give up. Right? But with the pursuit of the Father, him filling us up, Jesus didn't. Jesus persevered. With the Apostle Paul said, run the race, run the race, run the race, run the race. I know you're walking. I know you might be limping. But the only way to start running again is to do exactly what we see in these two verses. I'm going to read them slowly again. And I'm going to pray. And after I pray, we're going to stand. And there's another song that we're going to sing together. Um, And then after that, I believe, Beth, you're coming. Uh, to close out our service today, okay? I'm going to read these verses again. May, may they bless you. And I pray there's a moment, that a word in here that's like, ah, that's what I need. Ooh, that transition. Yes, Lord, that's how the Lord's speaking to me. Oh, that word, that's how I'm going to pursue you. So John the Baptist beheaded, 
feeding of the 5,000. John the Baptist beheaded, feeding of the 5,000. Look what happens right between. When Jesus heard about it, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, heard it, chaos, they followed him on foot from the towns, not just one town, from the towns. And when he went ashore, he saw all of these people, a great crowd. He had compassion on them, and he healed them. Lord, may these moments that I just read about, may they be true in us, that when we hear and see and experience the chaos, we withdraw, we slow down. We don't do what I do, get angry, control, fix, complain, blame, shift. We lean into you. And may we do what the crowds did. Even though they wanted to go with you, and uh, you said no for a, for a short, short season, they still pursued you anyways. And may we realize that when we do pursue you, you will help us. You will answer us. You promise to do that. And, and we long for you, Jesus. I pray a, a blessing um, over Pastor Stephen as he is away, focusing on everything from his head, his heart, and his hands. May you breathe life into him in these very moments. May his worship be sweeter than ever. May he not focus on pouring out, but may he simply have his hands open so that you might pour into him. I pray the same uh, for Sonia and their family. I pray that you'd bless them. I pray they would have joy in their work, joy in their ministry, and joy for the days ahead. I pray that for each and every single person in this room. It's not just for pastoral leadership, but it's for us following you. There are moments and times we just want to throw in the towel and say, it would be easier if. It would be easier if. And Father, help us to realize that that's often, often a lie. And that discouragement. And so I pray in, in, in your name, Lord, that Matthew 14, verses 13 and 14 would be a model of how we operate in the midst of chaos. We pursue you no matter what. Even if you make us wait, we pursue you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.